welcome to the Research Works podcast. My name is Dr. Dana Poole and I get the privilege of bringing to you a very special series this week. I am here in Slovenia at the European Academy of Childhood Disability interviewing the researchers and presenters about their work. This is very exciting and I can't wait for you to delve into this whole research conference series. We hope you enjoy the series. Welcome back, everyone. Oh, my goodness. We're coming close to the end of this conference series, Research Works here at EACD Slovenia 2023. And uh, we're in day three. We've had so much information. We've been learning so much. But the great thing about this is this conference kind of lives on through this podcast, which is fabulous. Now, the guests that we have here as our final few episodes are both Lisa's, um, different Lisa's. Well, one is a different Lisa to who's been on the show before. So this is fabulous to be able to continue to talk about this body of work. So welcome back to the show, Lisa Kliren. Kliren. Thank you very much. What did I say? <laughs> okay. Uh, fabulous to have you here, PhD candidate and new to the show, but another Lisa, Lisa de Kren. Yeah, hello, the, the, welcome. The, thank you. Say it right. The Krana. The Krana, that's right. I had the wrong emphasis again. PhD candidate, thank you for coming. Thank, thank you. Thank you for tolerating my terrible pronunciations. <laughs> it feels like it's an ongoing joke, but the struggle is real, guys. I'm really, <laughs> I'm trying to learn. Um, so both from, um, from the University of Leuven or KL Leuven. Yes, indeed. Yes. So I think it's so great to hear so much from the work that's been help happening in Belgium, which as a plug, that's where the conference is going to be next year. So there's been such great representation from Belgium. <laughs> yes, indeed. Next year, the ACD will be in Bruges. So we're very happy to be oh. here and, and contribute to the conference here in Slovenia. It's Next year it will be in our country. Yeah, yeah. how exciting. I felt like I started the conference going, yeah, I, I might be there. Now I'm like, I will be there. <laughs> um, I feel like that there's been so much great talk about, you know, what's been happening now and the future. And and both of you guys just presented. So last day, you've had to hold it together to the last day and, and manage all the nerves. But you guys both did brilliantly and you guys Thank presented you. back back to back to each other. So I thought it was a really great way to maybe put some of those things together with some main messages. You guys were both in the uh, advancing technology, uh, advancing in techno technological support segment, um, which I feel like is such a future direction of where a lot of things are headed. So I'm going to read both of your titles and we're going to try to put them together to, to really, um, you know, just to, to conceptualize the main thoughts and the findings. So, Lisa, your presentation was called Proximal Proprioception in Children with and Without Unilateral Cerebral Palsy, Measured with State-of-the-Art Robotics. Fabulous title. Love it. Thank you very much. <laughs> so great. And Lisa, uh, yours was Robotic Evaluation of Bimanual Coordination in Children with Unilateral Cerebral Palsy with Different Manual Abilities. Yes. <laughs> so I can see the relationship there already and obviously I really want to get to talking about the robotics. Mm -hmm. But first of all, I thought maybe we can um, talk about something that you sort of was part of your results and your conclusion about proprioception impairments. Um, Lisa, I'll go to you first about that. Why is it so important for us to know about proprioception impairments, particularly when you're looking at the interlimb differences? I thought that was really intriguing. Um, I think in general, proprioception is a very important mm. somatosensory submodality. Um, and it has already been shown that a lot of children do have somatosensory impairments, yeah. but it's not yet fully known how these somatosensory or these proprioceptive impairments impact on their bimanual function, their bimanual coordination. Yeah. So that's why we try to investigate in, in this study. Uh -huh. um, and 
On the one hand, we found that proprioceptive impairments in their non-dominant upper limb are really related to these bimanual coordination deficits. So if they have more proprioceptive impairments, they also have reduced bimanual coordination. So I thought that was really, really interesting. I guess that's how it relates to um, your talk, Lisa, about mm -hmm. bimanual coordination. Yes. Uh, so we can relate the two together. Can you just define what that bimanual coordination actually is? Like, what, how do we use that term? The definition, actually, of bimanual coordination is the independent use of mm -hmm. each hand in a cooperative way. Okay. And I... We, as a typically developing people, we don't really think about how much we need it in daily life. Mm. For example, when you're eating, yeah. you have to do two separate movements at the same time. And it's very difficult because your hands have to do two separate things, but <laughs> yeah. also have to cooperate together. Yeah. And for us, it's easy because our brains manage yeah. to do that. Yeah. But in yeah. children with unilateral cerebral palsy, it can be very difficult to do those two things that actually are very different from each other yeah. together. But yeah. the research about it was was very limited. Yeah. And I say was because we are trying to uh, do the research do now. The, yeah, actually do it. Because I think we've spoken about this before. It's just so important to, you know, upper limb function and ADLs and going to school. And when you talk about unilateral spasticity, we often talk about a dominant hand and a mm -hmm. non-dominant hand. And so many tasks that are required require both. Before we get into how they're all related, can you just maybe help to define what we mean by dominant hand and non-dominant? Because I think we'll be saying that a lot in this conversation, <laughs> won't we? <laughs> I think it's a very good idea. Um, for children with unilateral cerebral palsy, mm. they have predominantly lesions in one brain hemisphere, in mm -hmm. fact resulting in sensory motor impairments at one side of the body. Yeah. Um, and as typically developing peers already have a dominant hand that they are using more often in daily life yeah. compared to their non-dominant hand, this difference will be even enlarged in children with unilateral cerebral palsy. Yeah. So their non-dominant hand is in fact the most affected hand, while their dominant hand is less affected. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that's that's so worthwhile to, to put out there because we will literally be saying that over and over. Again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going this a little bit backwards. We're kind of talking about the results first and then and going back. Um, but I think thought it would be really worthwhile to say, okay, so Lisa, from a bimanual coordination perspective, what was like the main finding from your study? I don't know. We'll go back to the measures in a little bit too. But okay. what was the main thing that you found? The main thing is that children with unilateral cerebral palsy have bimanual coordination deficits mm -hmm. compared to typically developing children. Yeah. And that also you can classify children with unilateral cerebral palsy according to their manual ability yeah. in daily life, how well they can manage daily tasks. Yeah. And we divided those children in three groups and we sh show that children with worse manual ability also have more bimanual coordination deficits. Wow, wow. So that's a very interesting finding that tells us a lot about already interventions, what we can think about there, Indeed. right? Okay, so for you, Lisa, what was the main finding from your study, which was very much based on uh, proprioception, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. On the one hand, we showed that... Um, proprioceptive impairments seem to be present in both upper limbs of children mm. with unilateral cerebral palsy, despite their unilateral diagnosis. Yeah. And on the other hand, we showed that these proprioceptive impairments of their non-dominant or more affected um, side seem to be related to these bimanual coordination deficits. Wow. So you can see how it's all related already. So from, from your perspective, how do you think it's what, how do you think it's related? You know, what's, do you think one's causing the other? Which one happens first? Or what are your thoughts on that so far? 
I think that's a difficult question. It's a bit like the chicken and the egg it question. Is, it really is. <laughs> like, which way does it go? But Indeed. yeah, but yeah, I I think the proprioception deficits, yeah, are involved and related to the bimanual coordination yeah. Yeah. Uh, and are more a functional deficit and the bimanual coordination is more an activity deficit. That's a really good way to see it. I really like that, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that's also when you think about function, you know, proprioception, the way that we would often test its very body structure and function, you know, what can Indeed. you feel and what it is. And you're really saying both limbs are affected uh, and don't forget about the other limb, even though it's dominant, you know, that's all going to have a role to play. And Lisa, you're saying that when we have, um, when we have poor um, coordination that will affect our actual ability to function. Mm -hmm. So we are talking about how that looks like. When we look at treatments then, we should be treating at each level. Is that what your thoughts are or should we be mainly treating on function? Like, how do you see that fitting in? That's a big question that's, too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very good question, I think. Um, yeah, on the one hand, I, I think the, the most important thing in our interventions is that we improve really the activities of the mm -hmm. children, the performance of the children and their participation in daily life. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, I think it might be relevant to look deeper into the yeah, body functions and structures on how we can do this. Yeah. And as proprioceptive impairments might have an impact on their bimanual hand use. Yeah. This might yeah. be a possible option, but future research should definitely dig deeper into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really interesting topic. I know that when I spoke with Professor Ros Boyd yesterday, she's talking about baby constraint-induced and bimanual therapy, and she emphasized, you know, the role of toys and picking the right toys for the right activity. Yeah. And that, you know, you can see how that's really relevant in this particular case. But what you guys are looking at in terms of children, you guys looked at it in a very novel way because we also want to be able to measure not only if our interventions are changing, mm -hmm. we also want to be able to identify and be like, you know, really clear about what those changes might be. But we need to assess it. And this is where it was really novel what you guys did with the robotics. Do you want to describe how you came to this conclusion? I think first, uh, looking at bimanual function in general, mm -hmm. in literature currently in children with UCP or unilateral cerebral palsy, mainly the assisting hand assessment was used. Yes. And that's like a tool uh, where you let the children play a bimanual or a game and it, it involves a lot of bimanual tasks. But it has different scoring criteria and it has a lot of scoring criteria. Yeah, sure. Um, and it mainly looks at how well and how spontaneous they use their impaired hand in a bimanual task. Yeah. And although that's very interesting and very relevant information, we fail to capture the precise coordination and between both hands and we also fail to capture like quantitative data, yeah, I think. That's true. a very important so yeah. part. Um, and then we came to robotics because that is, has already been used a lot in yeah. uh, adult stroke population. Yeah, great. Um, and we thought, why are we not going with that <laughs> to children with unilateral cerebral palsy? Yeah, um, really interesting. So the robotics that you used was able to look at coordination as well as proprioception. Uh, I know this is going to be difficult to describe in an audio podcast. <laughs> you guys did have some lovely videos that you showed in your presentation. But the best you can from a visual representation perspective – why was the robotics um, form of assessment something that you guys used? Like, what was the advantage of it and how it assessed these two main things? I think a great advantage of it is that we get more sensitive and quantitative data uh -huh. out of the assessments. 
um, so that you can really have like refined insight yeah. into their proprioception and bimanual coordination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think another point is also that you have a structured environment. Yes, okay. It can also be a disadvantage, but that sure. we can talk about <laughs> later. Yeah. Uh, but in that way, we really manage to make a, uh, a t different task or use different tasks uh -huh. that we know, okay, we are performing this task. What does this tell us? And mm. try to minimize other influencing factors, for yeah. example. Yeah. And when you think about it, like when you think about how you measure proprioception and bimanual coordination, It's a really hard thing to, to quantify and think about because there's the interaction between the hands. It's, and, you know, the smallest of changes, I think, can make really big clinically meaningful changes. Do you feel like the robotics is something that could be really sensitive to that? Is that something that you feel is an advantage or what are your thoughts? I think indeed robotics might be something more sensitive to, to changes over time. Mm. Um, however, I also do have the feeling that we don't have the optimal task, mainly for proprioception, if mm. I'm talking about that, yeah, um, to okay. measure it at this moment. Okay. So the task we were using at this moment was in fact a contralateral position matching task uh -huh. during which ch children have to mirror match a position with their contralateral upper limb. Yeah. So in fact the sensory motor impairments of their other side that it's not being assessed will also affect on the results. Yeah, so I think sure. the robotics in general are a very valuable tool, yeah. but we still have to refine the, the real specific tasks and assessments that we are using on these robotic devices. Mm, yeah. sure, sure. And I think that's one of the big disadvantages. There are so many possibilities with robotics yeah. that actually first there needs to be research about what is really relevant and which tasks should we use further than just picking one task yeah. and saying, okay, we're going to do research with this task yeah. and talk it's about... It's really limited yeah. in that way as well, isn't it? It can help us with our understanding but the applicability to a whole bunch of different tasks is yeah, always yeah. tricky um, and that just describes the complexity of what people do with their hands and, yeah. and for you know real everyday tasks so I guess where to from here I, I think it sounds like you know robotics has a lot of uh, potential and a lot of hope um, but obviously access to robotics is also really tricky mm -hmm. yeah, so absolutely. what will your main recommendations be for clinicians who are considering the interaction between proprioception and bimanual coordination dominant and non-dominant hands <laughs> I think for me my study I see it more as an exploratory insight into getting more knowledge about coordination mm -hmm. but I don't see it be used in clinic in clinic further because it's a very expensive robot too sure. okay. and it's also the task we're in a horizontal plane okay. and that's not really functional yeah, um, true. so true. in our our both projects are part of a, our PhDs are part of a bigger project so we are going to do a lot of more stuff okay. and we're also going to include for example a more functional uh, bimanual coordination task uh, and also related to clinical measures that we have or currently use in literature and I think for me it's more important to see the relationship with current clinical measures and see is it related with what we use now and uh -huh. do they measure the same because, because if they measure the same we have a measure of bimanual coordination yeah, great. if not we may be need a new device to measure yeah. bimanual coordination yeah. that is applicable in yeah. uh, applicable yeah. in uh, <laughs> clinic yeah it's so important because if we can't see whether our interventions are making the change there's a big problem there we, we can't you know you don't want to do endless therapy for the sake of doing yeah. therapy we need to just say it's made a difference so this is a very important uh, quest uh, Lisa any final comments from you about where to from here and how how you see it happening I think there's 
of course, definitely more research needed regarding proprioception. Mm. And I think the most important thing is that we cannot underestimate the impact of proprioception and more generally somatosensory impairments also on motor function and on how they use their hands in daily life. That's so good, yeah. And I think um, all of the work from you and your team has been raising awareness and making sure everyone remembers to to look at somatic sensation, proprioception, group strength. You know, like you guys have really brought that together to think about functions. So congratulations. Good luck for the rest of your Thank PhD. You. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge. And it's again, I can't keep saying this enough, the fact that we can come to a conference and hear the latest and what's happening right now is really unique so yeah it's really generous for you to share your information now and uh, for all of our listeners I hope you've been really enjoying it we're about to come to an end for this conference series I hope this is something you can continue to use as a resource and and to know who's who doing uh, the research around the world thank you very much for having me again it was really a pleasure oh fabulous and thank you very much for having me for the first time <laughs> thank you Lisa I love that it's been fabulous um, thank you everyone who's been listening I'll talk to you all again really soon bye Thank you.